HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following message has been brought to you by Fairway Market. What's the buzz about honey? Well, those busy little bees are up to something, and it is delicious. The Fairway label honey is superb. Fairway only hires worker bees that are the best at what they do. This makes for a great-tasting, high-quality honey at an amazing value with the Fairway stamp of approval. And on top of being delicious, honey is a great substitute for other sweeteners and can even benefit your health. This includes better energy, respiratory improvements, and balanced blood sugar levels. It's a no-brainer. Get your Fairway Honey today. All right, it's Thursday at 1 o'clock, and you are tuned into the Heritage Radio Network. We're coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on a steamy, steamy summer day. I myself have just returned from upstate New York. I went up to Eagle Bridge Custom Meats to pick up some goats for a, a presentation that's happening on goat butchering tonight at FCI. But to continue that conversation, we are live in studio with Tim Patterson, Director of Advancement at Sterling College. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Aaron. Thanks. Thanks for coming down. So, Tim, you are not from the city. You you work up at the college in Vermont, and you're here today to talk about a goat project that was going on. But before we get into that, I want to kind of give our listeners a chance to learn a little bit about Sterling, because it, so it was a program I hadn't been aware of, and it's pretty interesting. Sure. Well, Sterling's a tiny liberal arts college in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, and it's completely devoted to environmental studies. Um, we have a very strong program in sustainable agriculture and food systems, and we emphasize a balance of hands-on and classroom learning. So students spend a lot of time out in the field. One day they could be mucking out a horse stall. The next day they could be in the classroom um, listening to a lecture, doing more traditional classroom work. And how long has the college been around? It's uh, been a four-year bachelor's of arts school for about a dozen years. Uh, before that, it was a two-year college, um, and before that, it was actually a prep school. Huh, evolution. Exactly. So do you find, are, are, like, who, who are your students? Are they other Vermonters? Are they people coming from the Northeast? Like, what's kind of the student body look like? It's about 25% Vermonters, um, about half from the Northeast. Uh, they're idealistic. Um, you know, they're just, it's wonderful. Just like us at Heritage Radio. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's wonderful energy that they bring to campus. Um, they want to change the world. And they're not afraid to get their hands dirty doing it. 
Yeah, it sounds like you're getting your hands dirty, mucking out the horse garage. All in a good day's work. <laughs> so, and like people come into the program, uh, you have kind of a, I'm assuming a core curriculum, but then they, can they focus on different things or does everyone go through the same program? Sure. It's a liberal arts curriculum. Okay. Um, and that's interesting because most agriculture programs mm-hmm. are much more technical. And science-based, um, Exactly. Right? We think it's a, an interdisciplinary approach is important. Um, so there is a core curriculum. Um, but students can then go into areas of study like uh, natural history, become naturalists, the environmental humanities, sustainable ag, conservation ecology. Basically, we want to train students who will go out and be stewards of the environment um, later in life. Wow, awesome. So what, have, I mean, can you give us some highlights from recent grads? Like, what are people kind of leaving the college to go do? Oh, they're all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah we've got people who are out in Yosemite um, as park rangers. Um, we've got people who are starting farms all over the country. Um, there's a guy who's in Burma right now oh, really? working with rural farmers to try to develop uh, more productive small-scale agriculture systems. Um, these kids go off and they do some really exciting things. That's great. So if, if people want to learn more about Sterling, uh, you just look up the website, sterlingcollege.edu, pretty straightforward. So let's tuck into some goats. Uh, now, I learned about you guys um, at Heritage through Heritage Foods. We're doing a a project that we're getting together for later in October called No Goat Left Behind, where we're taking a look at male dairy goats. Uh, and the reason we're doing so is because on a dairy farm, males don't really have much of a purpose because exactly. they're not going to be producing any milk. So uh, we were surprised to learn that the most kind of uh, cost-efficient thing for a farmer to do is often to to cull those goats right when they're born. And so Heritage, the Heritage team kind of got together and was like, man, what could... Is there, is there a role for them? Is there a role we can play? And so we're launching the No Goat Left Behind in October. And I'm on, on the hunt for 500 dairy goats throughout the Northeast. And we ran into your program, mm-hmm. um, I think, via a connection through Cornell. Is that right? Well, we had an article published about that this was program. It. Of course, of course. So that was in the Burlington Free Press. That's right. The BurlingtonFreePress.com. It was Melissa... Can you say her last name? Melissa Passanen. She's an awesome reporter. Awesome. And she was actually embedded with the class, but I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. So why don't you, is, was, was this a totally goat class or was it a goat project? Or let, let's back up a little bit and talk about what, what, what the setup was. Sure. Uh, well, it was an animal science course within the sustainable agriculture curriculum. And as you said, the thing about male dairy goats is that they're wicked hard to milk. Um. <laughs> and so, I keep squeezing and nothing's <laughs> happening. Yeah, no. Well, maybe something had happened. Um, but uh, so, as you said, they're called at birth, and that's a real problem because it's a lost revenue stream, potential revenue stream. Sure, for the and you've already spent how many months taking care of that the, the the pregnant mother? Exactly. So you're already invested. Sure, and there's an element of animal cruelty there too. Of course, you know? nobody likes to kill baby goats. Um, so the, or babies in general. True. So the <laughs> class's assignment was to raise male dairy goats um, uh-huh. from one, two days old. Okay. Um, keep track of their expenses. Okay. And then market those goats in New York City. And that was the most fun part because we loaded up a van with 12 students, 12 goats, myself, a professor, and then a reporter, Melissa, from the Free Press. Okay. And we road tripped down into New York. Down into New York with, with 12 live goats? With six live goats and six dead goats. Um, we'd slaughtered six ahead of time at a slaughterhouse in Vermont. Um, and we wanted to try a couple of different markets. Okay. We took the live goats to a halal market up in the Bronx. Uh-huh. And then we took the butchered goats, or the slaughtered goats, I should say, 
um, to Dixon's farm stand. Um, oh, over in Chelsea Market. In Chelsea Market, exactly. Awesome. Um, and Jake Dixon, um, he did a, did a wonderful job of speaking with the students, um, talking about what he looks for in a slaughtered animal and what his business model um, requires from small-scale sustainable farmers. Awesome. So the students, it seems like, got to really see the gamut that a, a small farmer faces. Exactly. Both raising and marketing the animal, the distribution aspect, and then really kind of the, the PR, the marketing end, where you're face-to-face with your customer kind of trying to talk about and, and sell your product, but also learn more about kind of what to do better for next time. Exactly. Yes. It sounds like a great class. So let's let's kind of talk through the life cycle of a goat. So gestation period for goats? Oh, geez. Am I, am I going to put you on the spot a little too much here? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not the, uh, the agriculture professor, but uh, I believe that um, they're, they're born earlier than many other animals. Animals, yeah. Uh, the lambs come a little bit later. The cows come a little bit later. Okay. And so there's that dead period in winter mm-hmm. um, when you have to feed them, uh, feed them milk. Um, and for the males, that's just not economical. Right. Um, to, to keep them going through. So you that mean period. like when the goat is born, you know, you know, if it they're, because they're born in maybe February or March, either, there's especially in the Northeast and especially in the Northeast Kingdom up in Vermont, you can't just put them out on pasture. Exactly. So, so that milk that they're feeding on at a dairy farm would normally go for cheese or, or goat's milk. I'm mm-hmm. assuming. We actually raised our goats on cow's milk, um, oh, and okay. then added some enzymes and things to make it more palatable and just healthy. Just like people do. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so the students got the baby goats, um, were they, where were they on campus? I mean, does, do you have a farm there? What were they We do. We have, and... uh, we have a working farm as uh-huh. an integral part of campus. Okay. Um, I love to go down there during the day and hang out with the animals. It's a beautiful spot. Um, and what's neat about the farm too, is that it's adjacent to an old fashioned New England inn that the college uses as a teaching classroom for culinary skills. All right. So we can actually walk from that kitchen over to the farm, um, pick out the produce that we're going to use later in the culinary classes, um, and really sort of tie that system together. That sounds very fresh. It's fresh as can be. (laughs) Now, do you do this? You said that you did um, slaughter some of the goats before you brought them down. Do you do Mm -hmm. slaughtering on campus as well? We do. We do do some slaughtering on campus. Um, It's a little bit tricky um, in terms of regulations. Um, we can slaughter um, poultry on campus and serve that. Mm-hmm. When we slaughter um, livestock like pigs or goats, um, then we can't sell that meat. We can give it away, right? But we can't sell it. Yeah, those rules are so tricky. You know, between kind of the states and the federal government, and then you have the whole kind of custom kind of bringing in my <laughs> bringing my pig to the back door and taking it back <laughs> to my freezer, kind of. All these different levels of regulation depending on where the meat is going. Exactly. And that regulation is important from a food safety perspective. Um, But it's also important to accommodate the small-scale farmers. Uh, Many of the regulations are designed for the large corporate farms. um, And a a small farmer has to really struggle um, to stay within the lines of the law while also making a profit and staying true to their their moral obligations. So what, I mean, what would you say for, for kind of expanding on that a little bit, were some of the things your students were surprised by? You said they were kind of keeping track, uh, you know, as they went along raising the goats, kind of, I'm assuming, you know, how much feed that they were giving them, the amount of uh, care that they required, you yeah. know, the time that these students actually put into physically caring for the goats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then those decisions about kind of slaughter and, and, and transport and 
really looking at how do you make it as a small scale farmer. So mm-hmm. what were some of the things that the students were like, man, this is like way harder or way easier, or just different sure. than they were expecting? Sure. Well, many um, business plans for farms, especially small scale farms, um, will add everything up except the time and labor of the farmer. Um, and that is an Achilles heel for many small farmers because they can get by for a few years without paying themselves very much. Sure. But eventually they're going to need um, to be compensated at, say, $10, $15 an hour for their labor. Um, so without factoring in labor, the students could get to a point where they break even with those dairy goats, those male dairy goats. Once you start adding in the farmer's time, um, it gets much more difficult. There's still a path to get there, but it's much more challenging. Wow, and, and I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy. If you think about any kind of business in the world, your, your major costs are, are, you know, one of them is labor. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't imagine uh, walking into Roberta's and saying, okay, let's like really look at the numbers for this business, and we're not going to count anything that you pay anybody to do something. That kind of, you know, shift is common, I think, for small businesses. And what mm-hmm. makes, you know, working for a small business really excited, but also kind of challenging is that willingness to kind of forego your own personal personal gain in, no. you know, the hopes that like things will work out at some point or you'll figure out the kind of magic tool. So at the end of the semester, I mean, did the, were the students feeling optimistic about the plight of dairy goats or pessimistic? What do you think? I'd say optimistic. Um, one trend that's really working to our advantage is that goat meat is becoming a lot more popular, it seems, um, here in New York and, and elsewhere. It always has been popular in um, ethnic markets, um, especially West Indies, um, halal markets. Um, but now it is becoming a, a bit more trendy, um, certainly here in Brooklyn. Um, I did a, a goat roast with some friends. Really? And people were coming out of the woodwork for it. They loved it. Um, yeah, so. I, I would say I was up at that, you know, so the the... The goat demo we're doing tonight, Zach Palaccio of, of Freddy, Fatty Crab and Fatty Q is going to be doing the butchering breakdown for us. And I was lucky enough to attend their staff party two years ago, and they did actually a crucified goat. They, mm. they had the goat literally on a, a crucifixion with a fire at its feet, kind of baking all day in the sun. And, and I've been surprised to learn as I've gone through kind of doing some goat research that it's actually, of all domesticated livestock, the most popular meat in the world. Mm-hmm just not here in the u.s yeah we americans uh we've got a little bit of learning to do yeah not yet right we're getting there <laughs> like sterling college the next frontier <laughs> <laughs> well why do you think that is i mean why do you think that the that that goat meat is popular in other parts of the world but not so popular here in the u.s is it a flavor thing is it a status like what what is that about well a big part of it is certainly cultural um, but i'd also say that uh goats don't generally do well in the big feedlot style operations. Um, okay. You know, it's easy to push pigs or beef through that kind of factory farm. Um, goats are a little bit trickier. They're a little bit more individualistic. Um, they're much better suited to small scale farming. And so I think as we see a shift in this country towards more small scale, small scale sustainable ag, then you'll start to see goat meat becoming um, more popular. Yeah, and that's definitely something I've I've noticed kind of talking to farmers as we're we're looking to meet our goal of securing 500 goats is that the the goats you know there's not a lot of inputs to them essentially. You need to give them, you know, pasture to graze on and kind of, you know, a place to sleep, but you can really get by without any additional feed if you have if you have healthy grasses or if you have like a diverse enough pasture. What were the goats um up at Sterling eating? They were actually only raised on milk. They were slaughtered at about two and a half months. Wow, um, okay. 
And, and that is partly because we're a college and we have our semester system. Mm-hmm. And so the final project, the dates of that, um, about a month ago, um, was at the end of the semester. Um, if we were a working farm, then we probably would have uh, kept the goats for a couple more months, had them out on pasture, um, which is free. And then that would have brought our feed costs down while they put on weight um, and brought our revenue up. Yeah, so that, I mean, I think, think too, the, the milk-fed goat is something that, that I've been seeing a lot. And it seems like different cultures across the world have different preferences for goat and mm-hmm. different major holidays from, like, Easter to, to Ramadan to, to the Greek Orthodox holidays. People that want different age goats fed different things. Sometimes they want males. Sometimes they want females. Yeah. Sometimes they want castrated. Sometimes they want not castrated. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they want the meat to have hung for a few days. Sometimes they want it not to have hung. Um, I think with any kind of very traditional food, the the expectations from um, different populations can vary a lot for the same animal. Mm, absolutely. So yeah. did you find the milk fed was a selling point for your students or, or that was just kind of what you had and Dixon's was able to kind of work for you? Well, it was dictated by the climate. Um, we did not have fresh grass um, um, while the goats were, were being raised. Um, but actually, I went over and I saw Jake Dixon uh, this morning to check up, follow up, and see uh-huh. how people like the goat. Yeah. And he said that uh, these, these milk-fed goats um, stayed tender and stayed fresh longer in his case um, than some of the other goats that he'd sourced that had been out on pasture for a while. Awesome. Well, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and continue our goat chat. is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Tune in to Greenhorn Radio, hosted by Severin von Scharner Fleming, every Thursday at 2 p.m. Greenhorn Radio is radio for young farmers by young farmers. Helmed by acclaimed activist, farmer, and documentarian Severin Fleming, Greenhorn Radio is a weekly phone interview session surveying America's cutting-edge under-40 farmers. Again, that's every Thursday at 2 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. All right, we're back. You're tuned into the Farm Report. We are live in studio with Tim Patterson, Director of Advancement for Sterling College, talking about a goat project he worked on with students this past year. So, Tim, before the break, we were kind of getting a little bit into to goats and different different sizes that mm-hmm. people um, want them and how different cultures kind of look to goats. But one, one thing we haven't really clarified is, you know, meat goats, dairy goats. Mm-hmm. Like, what's the difference? 
Well, dairy goats are the most common, I would say, in New England, certainly, with the rise of goat cheese and small-scale goat dairies. Um, meat goats are more popular in other parts of the world where, as we were saying, meat is a, is a very is common. A, yeah, um, so, I mean, I think it's one of those things about, about modern agriculture is that, you know, many, many moons ago, there probably would have been one goat that you would get mm-hmm. a little milk from and then at some point, like, slaughter for meat because everyone kind of had one. And it was very small scale, and as... As farms grew larger and became more consolidated, the mm-hmm. genetic lines were, were kind of pushed in different directions where goats were selected for meat traits, that is, you know, a good bone to, to meat carcass, you know, a good bone to meat to fat, mm-hmm. how fast they put on weight, how much food it takes to get them up to that weight. Exactly. Versus dairy goats where you're looking at things like udder size and, and, and posture and, and, you know, um, you know, fat content. Mm-hmm. So those breeds kind of separate out, and that's kind of another important part um, to note. And, and a big component of our No Goat Left Behind project. While we're interested in in featuring goats, meat, and dairy, we are in particular interested in dairy goats because, um, you know, unlike meat goats, they are you know perfectly healthy animals, come from great genetic stock, but you know haven't been bred to be the big meat producers mm-hmm. like like a meat goat. Um, if you check out the American Livestock Breed Conservancy, the ALBC.com, they have a great write-up on, on different breeds of goats. And I know the goats that we're going to be um, butchering tonight are the Olber Hosley. Always oh, such a tough one to say. <laughs> uh, the Swiss Alpine goats, and, the, and those are dairy goats. But the majority of meat goats come from uh, a Spanish lineage. And, and from a, a breed preservation aspect, I, I was really surprised to learn that it's really difficult to find, you know, fully traceable lines of, of heritage goats just because they've been bred and crossbred for so long that they're they're really more, I think, even than pigs um, or cows or animals that we're kind of more familiar with within the heritage movement, um, kind of threatened and, and deserving of our attention. You know, so goats kind of have a lot of hurdles to get over, you know, from the Americans, like, reluctance to eat them to the... To create the marketplace, I mean, that's really something we talk about a lot on the show is if you really want to change how food is grown, you know, you have to vote, vote with your dollars. And Mm -hmm. so getting back to your project, uh, I want to kind of talk through this field trip you took. So I'm trying to imagine, you know, you're up in Vermont. It's you, 12 students, six dead goats, six live goats. What I mean, what were you guys driving? Like how this was an epic road trip there all right Um, we had a a big van um and then a trailer behind the van um that held the goats um with some hay down and and then a a shelf where the the dead goats um the slaughtered goats were wrapped in plastic and put away okay um so the first stop was actually the slaughterhouse where we picked up the the dead goats um and then we picked up the reporter um, all right she she was embedded she was embedded in the van yeah and that's from Uh, the the burlington free press mm -hmm. okay excellent paper um, and then we headed south. Um, we drove from uh, uh, the kingdom over to Burlington and then right down through Albany, New York, mm-hmm. um, to the Bronx. And our first stop was the live market. Um, we did not know what to expect. Yeah, I've never market. been up to a live market. I mean, was it pandemonium? I mean, were there animals everywhere? What, I mean, what does it even look like? Is it a giant building? Is mm-hmm. it a field? It was actually relatively small scale, um, a two-story building, um, sort of like a, a small warehouse or an auto repair shop or something like that. Okay. Um, when we arrived, the fellow who owned it um, was praying. Um, it was a halal market, and that seemed to be uh, <laughs> just a really good, uh, a good fit. Um, you go inside, and there, were, um, there was poultry in cages mm-hmm. stacked up along one wall. 
and then a pen with some some sheep and some other goats. Okay, um, so you have chickens, sheep, goats, ducks, ducks. Yep, yep. But not nothing as so big as like a a pig or a cow. No, no, no larger livestock. Uh, but it was very calm. Our goats were were not very agitated. Um, the students just kind of picked them out of the trailer and carried them in. Um, they were weighed. They went into the the pen. Um, and I believe we got uh, something like two eighty a pound. Two eighty a pound the for the live weight uh, for the live goats. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's another thing we've been, you know, as we've been moving through our, our goat knowledge is is learning about kind of what are the things that impact um, the prices that farmers get paid and and travel is a big one. Um, goats are not a huge animal. Like a full a full a full grown goat is going to be somewhere around the ninety to one hundred and twenty pounds at the you know nine month to a year mark, mm-hmm. um, and. And so when you transport those animals, I've heard that there, there can be often a, a problem of, of shrinkage just within the transport, like as, as animals go under, under stress, that you can actually end up weighing them at the farm mm-hmm. and then weighing them at the end, and, and that can shift by you know up to 6 7%. Sure, if they get a little dehydrated or stressed on the journey, that can absolutely happen. And that's like a, kind of just to highlight the, the really the need for for regionally located slaughterhouses mm-hmm. across the Northeast. I mean, normally you wouldn't be taking this kind of a drive. How close was the slaughterhouse that you used up in Vermont? It was about an hour and a half from campus. Okay. Uh, and, you know, Vermont's actually really taken the lead at a state government level um, in encouraging farm-to-table agriculture, small-scale agriculture, and putting the resources out there for uh, more and better slaughterhouses. Awesome. So... Live, so most ga- most goats are sold, uh, you know, if they're sold live, or even if they're if they're sold into any kind of market, they're usually sold by the live weight. That's kind of how, in my as I'm picking up, that's kind of how goat farmers are kind of talking about their animals. Um, they can also be sold by the head, mm-hmm. which seems kind of crazy to me. You kind of, oh, we have ten goats. Okay, we'll pay you, you know, hundred for each goat or, or or whatever it is, but not taking into account any of those other factors. And then there's kind of the carcass weight, which I guess is maybe how you. How you got how you sold them to Dixon's is we have a, mm-hmm. a, the, this carcass it weighs this much we're going to pay this much a pound yes exactly all right so you're up at the halal market um, you know did you just walk the goats on down or did they have, I mean <laughs> well after we had dropped off our live goats um, we were uh, planning to do a goat barbecue in Soho at a place called Saturday's NYC okay um, but we were running a little bit late and it turned out that we had to cancel. Um, so that was a problem. We had 12 hungry students, the reporter, um, a goat carcass ready to be barbecued. We had salsa and tortillas, uh, shredded lettuce, everything that we needed for this barbecue except a grill. Um, so we're driving through the Bronx um, trying to explore our options, um, and we pass this guy who's got this uh, custom barbecue rig um, going on the corner of, I believe it was 235th Street and White Plains Avenue. Okay. Um, so we hit the brakes and jumped out with the goat carcass and said, Hey, can you, can you help us out? Uh, No way. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, he was at first a little bit surprised, of course, uh, but, uh, (laughs) but we ended up having a block party practically. Um, we grilled the goat. It took about an hour and a half or so. The students cut it up into pieces. Um, lots of people came out. Um, we had a, a crew from a, from a firehouse stop by and, and have some goat. Um, it was it was wonderful to see people from so many different backgrounds all coming together and just really enjoying themselves and enjoying the goat meat. Also, and yeah, what a nice reinforcement for your students who are kind of 
attending Sterling because they want to like look to make some of those those connections around food and uh, you know people essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so you barbecued your goat, and then did you head down to the Chelsea Market or? No, it was getting late at that point. Um, the sun went down by the time we'd finished eating, um, and so piled back into the van and tried to find a place to park a van and a trailer in Manhattan at nine o'clock. On. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another challenge of small scale farming. Yeah. Um, so we ended up uh, parking on one of those piers by the big aircraft. Is it an aircraft carrier battleship that's part that's down on the. Oh, on the down on there. the west side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we parked there. Students crashed for the night um, and we met at Chelsea Market early the next morning. So walking into Chelsea Market, a little bit different than walking into the live goat market. Yeah, just a touch. Just a touch. And you, so you guys were heading to Dixon's. Um, did, you, did you parade the goats through the market or did you we go did. through the lo- loading dock? We did. We actually uh, took the subway. Um, the students were carrying the goats over their shoulders. On the subway? The carcasses, yeah. <laughs> and then down the street. No. Uh, <laughs> and, and into Chelsea Market. And it's funny, you know, New Yorkers are very good, I think, at... Um, just sort of that tunnel vision, you know, ignoring what's happening around them. Nobody did a double take. Here you have these, uh, you know, these goat carcasses riding the train and, uh, you know, people just reading their paper, going about their business. I'm surprised. I mean, I've done my fair share of pig deliveries around the city. Maybe it's just the size difference. I don't know. But definitely, and maybe it's just because I'm a girl. I, but, like, I definitely get the, the double takes when I'm, like, walking down the street with a pig bag and a head, or a pig head in a bag, or, you know, a, a, <laughs> well, a pig go- over my shoulder. These goat carcasses were decapitated already, so okay. maybe that helps. so less striking. But still, <laughs> a goat carcass on the subway. All right, so you showed up at Dixon's, um, and you dropped the stuff off, and now was he able to kind of chat with the students a bit? He was, yeah. He was so generous with his time, and he's such a knowledgeable guy. Um, he gave us about an hour uh, talking about his business model and what he needs from farmers. Um, and it was really interesting because there's, there's a lot of talk about farmers' markets now, right, which are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jake was saying you really need a middleman sometimes. Um, you need a skilled butcher who can have his butcher shop and work with farmers on the one hand and customers on the other, saving farmers' time um, and always having, um, having product on hand. Uh, where if a farmer is going out and trying to sell direct to consumer at a farmer's market, that's great. But there's a lot of logistics and there's a lot of extra expenses. Um, so, so Jake was making that case, uh, which w- was interesting for our students to hear and, and right. seemed quite per- persuasive. Yeah, and I would say, you know, like any business, you want kind of a diversity of income streams. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like a lot of a lot of farmers I know kind of tend to do both. They do market deliveries, they do restaurant deliveries, um, or they sell directly at their stand. So it's nice that the students got to kind of take a peek at a couple different markets, mm-hmm. make the journey with, with the carcasses and the live weight. And so is this class going to be available again next year if, if people want to head up to Vermont? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, there'll be a great goat road rally of 2012 next year. <laughs> we're looking forward to it. And as we were talking before the show, there's actually, you've had quite an influx to your area of, of Brooklyners and people we, we are familiar with from here at the station. I, who I, know, I know Taylor Kokalis from Good Food Job who's been on the show before. She's actually now on the faculty at Sterling College. Um, Small she's, world. She's teaching a seminar in food entrepreneurism as part of a, a summer program called Vermont's Table um, that really looks at farm-to-table food studies um, from a very interdisciplinary perspective. And then who else? You said Annie Meyer, who was the forager for the Spotted Pig, yep. is, is working on a... Yeah, she works at a farm called Pete's Greens, which is a diversified organic vegetable farm. Um, and it's just down the hill from the college. All right, well... 
thank you so much for coming in today, Tim. Um, and I would I would recommend Sterling College at sterlingcollege.edu. Check out some of the course offerings. Let's work on that Brooklyn to Vermont connection. Um, thanks Vermont, a lot. Vermont loves Brooklyn, and we hope Brooklyn loves Vermont. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Just Food. Help bring live chickens into food challenge communities through your donations to the Just Food City Chicken Project 2011. The City Chicken Project would not be possible without the volunteer hours, donations, large and small, and the vibrant energy and ideas of the communities we work with. Just Food is a nonprofit organization that connects New York City communities and local and urban farmers with the resources and support they need to make fresh, locally grown food accessible to all. To donate, search on kickstarter.com for Just Food and find their City Chicken Project. For more information on Just Food, visit justfood.org or call 212-645-9880. That's 212-645-9880. Let's keep making New York City a better place to live and eat. This is Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Uh, This story comes off of MarketWire. Totally Green enters the U.S. hotel market with Orca, O-R-C-A, Green Machine, installed at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston, Massachusetts. Totally Green Incorporated, a pioneer in organic food processing systems and compostable packaging alternatives, has installed its revolutionary Orca Green Machine at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston. Four Seasons Hotels have implemented the Orca Green Machine to establish on-site composting of organic food waste generated by its restaurant and cuisine services. The organic composter saves the hotel tipping or disposal costs. The organic refuse produced by the hotel no longer needs to be hauled away. The Orca Green Machine composts up to 2,400 pounds of organic refuse per day into harmless, nutrient-rich gray water that can be safely put into the sanitary sewer system. The Four Seasons Hotel staff deposits any organic food waste generated throughout the hotel's guest rooms and restaurants into the composting machine. This aerobic compost process complements Four Seasons' environmental mission to support sustainability by reducing the amount of methane-producing organic material that they send to landfills. Well, kudos to the Four Seasons Hotel chain because um, everybody could do that if they wanted to spend the money. I thought that was a really interesting story. This has been Behind the Scenes Food News with Katie Kiefer. Nicole Taylor is always the first to talk with new and exciting personalities in the food world on her show, Hot Grease. Check out a little clip. Everything is super sweet in the Heritage Radio Network studios today. We're chatting with Fanny Gerson. Fanny is a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America and the 2011 James Beard Foundation Cookbook Award nominee. Oh, my God. We fry in bed style. We have to talk dough. 
donuts. I'm going to have to say, Fanny, I don't know if you know this. I was definitely the first person in Brooklyn to start talking about donuts. Did you know that? I, I knew that last time I saw you. Ah. But I didn't know that before. So we have to talk dough. I mean, it, it is it is a bona fide phenomenon in Brooklyn. Uh, I'm so excited to be part of it. I, and I can't believe it. <laughs> you know? I mean, I was just telling you before the show that uh, I think about a month ago, I went to dough on a Sunday at 2 o'clock and all the donuts You like what you hear? You can hear Hot Grease every Monday at 3.30 p.m. live on HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast or check it out in our archives.